Well, last Sunday morning, we started a new study called Satan's Toolbox, the Schemes and Strategies of the Enemy. And we talked about the devil as the deceiver. That was last week. Talked about the deceiver. And we said the deceiver's uh, target is your mind. The deceiver's weapon is lies. The deceiver's purpose to keep us ignorant of the word of God. And so today we're going to learn about more of his tactics, but this time as the destroyer, not the deceiver. The destroyer. And 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9 is is kind of a key passage for us here. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, to destroy. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. So Satan is looking for people whom he can devour or destroy. And I read a statistic that uh, I I, I imagine it was for the U.S., but probably Canada would be similar. Only 57% of people believe in a a real devil. Only 57% of the people believe that Satan is real. So the other, whatever, 43% are perfect targets for the enemy. Satan is looking for people whom he can destroy or devour. And as the destroyer, Satan's target is your body. Last week we said as the deceiver, he attacks the mind. As the destroyer, he attacks your body. If Satan cannot defeat you by deceiving your mind, he'll then move on and attack your body and try to destroy it. As the serpent, he deceives. As the lion, he destroys. Job is a prime illustration of this kind of attack. The devil destroyed Job's family. The devil destroyed Job's livelihood. The devil destroyed Job's health. And and while Satan seeks to destroy us through suffering, his work is essentially or primarily a distortion and a misrepresentation and a perversion of the good and glorious purposes of God in suffering. That's right, you heard me right. God has good and glorious purposes for us in suffering. But Satan comes along and gets his hands in the pie and tries to ruin God's good and glorious purposes for us when he allows suffering into our lives, he's trying to accomplish something. He's trying to prove us and test us so that we come out of the fire proven and tested like, like gold. But the enemy comes in and tries to distort all of that and pervert that and twist it. In the Gospels, we discover the enemy uh, working, and through his demonic helpers, he attacked and sought to destroy a number of people. Matthew chapter 12, verse 22, for example, we read about a a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute. They brought this guy to Jesus, and Jesus heals him. But, But Satan tried his best to attack this man through his body. In another case, a woman was bent over and physically restricted because of demonic activity. You look at Luke chapter 13 and verse 11. It says, Behold, there was a woman who had had a disabling spirit 
for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. You say, well, that's just, that's just an archaic way of explaining that this woman had scoliosis. Well, if we believe the Word of God to be the Word of God, and it's true in every word and thought that it reveals, this woman had a disabling spirit. Satan had targeted this woman's body for whatever reason. And in Matthew 17, 15, the demons attacked a young boy repeatedly, not once, but repeatedly, and he fell into open fire and he fell into the water numerous times. And verse 18 tells us that Jesus rebuked the demon, it came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. So there's no escaping the humbling fact that Satan stands ready to attack and destroy the body. And there's no escaping the fact, the amazing fact, that Jesus is always very close by. So why is the enemy so determined to attack this hunk of flesh? Emphasis on hunk, this hunk of flesh. My wife is in agreement, but that's about the only one. 35 years married today. Today is our anniversary. My wife deserves a big reward and a big prize for 35 years of this. Yeah, I love you, dear. Why is the enemy so determined to attack the body, the physical body of followers of Jesus? Well, first of all, your body is God's temple, right? That's what the scripture says, 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You're not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. So if Satan can attack the bodies that God has given us, that we're supposed to use to glorify him, if Satan can attack the bodies and take, out, take our bodies out of commission, then he's, he's, you know, he's been successful in somewhat thwarting God's, God's desire to reveal grace to a lost and lonely world. Furthermore, your body is, is God's instrument. This is, our body is one of the tools that God uses in this life. Look at Romans 6 and verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Don't present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and present your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Present your members, your, your, your bodies, your physical being to God as instruments of righteousness. Did you know before today that your, your body could actually be used as an instrument of righteousness for God's glory? It's an amazing fact, but it's true. When God wants to do his work in the world, he, has, he uses us. He uses the members of his body, the church, who have bodies. When he wants to get something done, he, he goes through us many, many times. And Satan knows that if he can hinder God's work by attacking God's workers, by attacking God's messengers, uh, and putting their instruments, their bodies out of commission, then he, he wins a temporary victory. 
So can I encourage you to never minimize the care of your body? Never underestimate the importance of your body. You say, well, you know, the body's going to go in the grave. The spirit lives forever. Yeah, I know, but your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I know, but your body is an instrument of righteousness. So, so take care of your body. Don't underestimate the importance of, of your body. Never undervalue good nourishment and good exercise and good diet. Not including the peach pie that I had yesterday, but we won't talk about that. See, the Christian who is careless about his or her health is really playing right into the hands of the enemy. So another reason why the enemy is so determined to attack our bodies is that our, our bodies are really God's treasury. Your body is, is God's treasury. That's where he, he, he deposits uh, eternal life. This is where he deposits the Holy Spirit of God. And 2 Corinthians 4, 7 says, we have this treasure in jars of clay. This is a jar of clay. You got a jar of clay, I got a jar of clay. To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. So when God saved you, he, he put the treasure of eternal life in your body, in your jar of clay. And you have the very life of God within you. That's why some people like to say, you know, uh, God does his best work with cracked pots. <laughs> earthen vessels. Jars of clay. There's a Christian group. Are they still together, jars of clay? Don't know. That was probably 20 years ago, but um, you're God's treasury. And, and he gave you this treasure so that you might invest it for him. Satan's target is your body, so just take care of the treasury of God. Take, take care of the temple of the Holy Spirit. Take care of your body and you will reduce Satan's chances of victory. Might not eliminate it, but you can certainly reduce his chances. So if his target is your body, what's his weapon? Satan's weapon is suffering. Satan would love to control all of the circumstances around your physical body so that he could make you suffer. He, he wants to injure your body. He wants to damage your body and create suffering. At the very least, he wants to, he wants to uh, hijack the suffering that God allows in your life, that God ordains for you as a follower of Jesus. And he wants to distort that and twist that and turn it all around and get your mess with your mind about that suffering that's in your life. All of this, again, illustrated by the story of Job. And you know the story of Job, how he lost everything had boils from head to foot. And, you know, his wife even said to him, what, what, what is your problem? Why don't you curse God and die? It'd be better to die than to live like you are living. Job's response, though he slay me, I will yet praise him. Not going there. I had decided to follow. No turning back. It's important to notice in the story of Job that God was in control. Satan was not in control. 
God was in control. Satan could not attack Job's possessions until God gave him permission. Satan could not wipe out Job's livelihood until God gave him permission. While Satan tries to destroy us through suffering, his primary work, is, it's, his work is essentially a distortion or a perversion or a misrepresentation of the good promises that God has ordained for us in suffering. And I'm reminded of the words of Jesus to Peter, Simon Peter, Luke chapter 22. He said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you. I wonder how many of those conversations go on between God and the devil every day. No. If, if Satan demanded to have Peter, hand him over to me, hand him over. I wonder how many other requests the father gets every day. You know, hand him over, hand him over. Give her to me, give her to me. Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you, Jesus said, that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned again, strengthen your brothers. Satan cannot touch the child of God without the Heavenly Father's permission. And that's so encouraging to me. Is that encouraging to you? Nothing comes into our lives except that it's filtered by the Father. It's already passed through His hands. Now, the, the reason He allows that into our lives is, is, a, is, a, is another story, and that's another sermon. But the fact is that what, 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 what passes through the Father's hands into our lives, though it may be difficult and it may be challenging, it's still from God. And God is in control. However, and hear me well at this point, please, God has given us free agency when it comes to the response to that suffering. And so our response to the suffering that God allows or God ordains in our lives is critically important. It's critically important because it's at that very point, it's at that very point of response where Satan gets his foot in the door, where Satan seeks to twist the purposes of God, where Satan tries to convince us that God has other than good and glorious purposes for our suffering. Has God really said You will surely not die. This, is, this suffering surely is not from God. So our response to suffering is, is our responsibility, and it's critically important because it's precisely at that point of response where Satan can gain access. Does that make sense? Okay. Now, this is not to say... This also, this is not to say that all suffering is satanic in origin. Don't hear me say that, because I'm not saying that. All suffering is not satanic in origin. We sometimes suffer simply because we are human. And the breakdown of the human body is real. Most of you over 50 know that. The breakdown of the human body is a very real thing. We can't prevent the gradual breakdown of the human body. It's just a, it, it's a thing that God has ordained in our lives, and, and it happens to everybody. 
But we also suffer because we are sinful. We make sinful choices and, and we disobey God. And sometimes God brings chastisement upon us, right? Just like a good parent would discipline or chastise his children, God also chastises us. We turn to that very familiar passage in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 5. My son, don't regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. This is not, this is not surprising to us. If you've been on the way for a while, you've probably experienced a little bit of chastisement from the Lord. So not all suffering is satanic in origin, but when we respond, when we do respond to the suffering that's there in a way that, that does not glorify God, in a way that's sinful, that gives Satan a greater opportunity to get his foot in the door and to misrepresent the purposes of God. So our response to this whole mess is really important. And please remember also that suffering does not necessarily mean that you're far from God. It's often the first conclusion that people draw when they experience pain or suffering in their lives. That God has abandoned them, that He's far away. Not necessarily so. It can mean that we're being drawn closer to the Lord. It can mean that God is, is drawing out the, the best and the greatest dependence from us because of this. It can mean that maybe this is the last large barrier between you and God so that once this is dealt with, you'll have a, a much greater uh, relationship with the living Lord. So, dear friend, when you find yourself in a place of difficulty, in a place of suffering, I would encourage you to spend some time trying to discern where that, where that suffering is coming from. Is it just a, a natural thing? Is it the breakdown of the body? Is it a torn rotator cuff? that was somewhat my responsibility for trying to keep up to the 16-year-old guys that I was playing dodgeball with? Is it that? Is it, is it nature? Is it God? Is, is God trying to get my attention and I've been ignoring Him and now this is happening and He has a greater purpose in mind for me? Is it God? Or, or is it the enemy? Have I somehow opened the door to allow the enemy to create some suffering in my life so that he can distort or misrepresent or pervert the purposes of God in my life? I mean, what is it? You need to take some time to discern that. And I believe that with, a, with an honest heart and an eager heart and a sincere heart, when you get alone with God and say, Father, would you please help me understand where this is coming from and why, He will reveal that to you. Because He loves you. He loves you. And He loves that kid who just smashed his head against the wall too. He loves you. And He wants to reveal His will and His purpose 
to you. So take some time. While Satan tries to destroy us through suffering, his work is essentially a misrepresentation and a distortion and a perversion of the good and glorious purposes of God for us in suffering. You cannot control the origin of the suffering in your life. But you can certainly control how you respond to it. So this kind of naturally leads us to the next section on Satan's purpose. What's he up to? Well, he's trying to make you impatient with God's will. And if he can make you impatient and, and start to you know, turn up the furnace to a slow boil when you are experiencing pain or suffering, he's got you right where he wants you. James 5.11 says, Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. Uh-oh. <laughs> you have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So uh, this verse seems to indicate that Satan's purpose was to try to get Job to be unsteady, to be unfaithful, to be, to be unreliable, to be impatient. And you see, if he, he tried to move Job from, from trusting God to blaming God. He tried to move Job from faith to fear. And he does the same thing with you and me just about every single day. Every opportunity that the enemy has, he will try to move us from trusting God to blaming God and from faith in God to fear. Just say no. Get behind me, Satan. The devil will do the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. You win today, don't gloat because you got tomorrow, you got to face tomorrow. And if you win this week, don't gloat because you got next week. The enemy just will not give up until the end has come. I mean, he, he knows he's already beaten. He's just biding time. He's just trying to take as many people down with him as he possibly can. Don't be one of them. Have a look at James, chapter 1, verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Are you kidding me? For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Satan tempts us that he might bring out the worst in us and God permits it that he might bring the best out in us. He's committed to your best, not just to you getting by. He's committed to your best in life. But we can't learn patience by simply reading a book or listening to a sermon. The only way to learn patience is to go through the trials and the difficulties that God allows into your life. That's how you learn to be patient. So hurry up, Lord. Help me be patient today. The testing of your faith produces steadfastness. That's what the Scripture says, provided you respond to it in the right way. God's 
purpose is to make you better. Satan's purpose is to make you impatient with the will of God. Because when we're impatient, we, what do we do? What do we do when we get impatient? We run ahead of God. We go before Him. We decide that our, better, our idea is better than God's idea. We, we decide He's too slow. And we run ahead and we mess it up. Even so, God has given us a great defense. He's given us a great defense. Your defense is the glorious, wonderful grace of God. Job's not the only one who felt Satan's attack in his physical body. There was another great saint who had a similar experience, the Apostle Paul. You remember in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, there's the verse. He says, so to keep me from becoming proud... I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. Paul, my grace is enough. My power works best in weakness. So he says, now I'm glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults and hardships and persecutions and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. So God did not answer Paul's prayer the way he prayed it, but he did supply his need, right? Paul, I'm going to give you my grace And that's enough. It's always enough. My grace is sufficient for you. It's the imparted grace of God that gives us victory when Satan attacks the body and brings suffering with him. Only the grace of God can can give me the patient endurance that I need as I face these trials on a daily basis. We can go through the fire only because Jesus has gone before us. He is the author and perfecter of our faith. One, one translation uses the word pioneer, which means, gives us the idea that He pioneered the way for us. He went before us. He went through the furnace of affliction. He walked through the fires of, of testing and trial and, and temptation for us. And so if we are in Christ, His victory is our victory. Thanks be to God. Peter says in, in 1 Peter 5.10, after you have suffered a little while. See, there's an assumption there, isn't there? He's assuming that we will suffer. After you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Our God is a God of all grace. All grace. He is the God of all grace. Which means there isn't another God who can give you grace. He's the God of all grace. All the grace that we have in life, all the grace that's available in the world comes from God. It's found only in Jesus. And it's grace from start to finish. 
So what steps then? What practical steps can we take when Satan attacks the body and tries to skew the purposes of God in suffering and make you impatient with God's will? What can we do? What can we do? First of all, immediately submit yourself to God. I mean, I mean, immediately get on your knees and say, Lord, I surrender all, all to thee. I surrender. James 4, 7, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Devil hates complete submission to the will of God. He hates it when we get on our knees and surrender to God. Resist him. He'll flee from you until another opportune time. He'll be back. He'll be back. And what do you do when he comes back? You get on your knees and surrender to God again. Submit yourselves to the Lord. Resist the devil. He'll flee from you. And that passage from Job 13, wow. Job said to his Eve-like wife, though he slay me, I don't care. I don't care what happens in my life. God can take my life. He can slay slay me. I'll still praise him. Doesn't matter. There's nothing Satan can do. Nothing the devil can do. Nothing you can say. Nothing the bullies at school can do or say to me that's going to take me away from God. Nothing. Nothing. Next, thank God for the trials. Ephesians 5.20, giving thanks always and for everything, including suffering, including pain, including, including, including. Uh-huh. Everything means everything. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So it doesn't mean you enjoy suffering. Nobody enjoys it. Oh, it means that you rejoice because you're suffering in the will of God and you know that he's in control and he'll, he'll work it out. He'll figure it out. And it'll be okay. Also, you need to spend much time in the Word of God. Acts 20, verse 32. Paul says, I I now commend you to God and to the Word of His grace. He's talking to to the believers there. Commend you to God and to the Word of grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So he commends them to God the Father and also to the word of grace, which to us is really the scriptures, the word of grace, and all the precious promises of God. He commends us to this. So you need to spend time in this so that you learn the promises and start to walk in the promises of God and start to uh, live by the word of God. And it's the word of God that reveals the will of God. And remember, Satan's purpose is to get you impatient with the will of God. So you need to spend time in the Word of God so that you know the will of God and do the will of God and, and become patient in that. And finally, you look for ways to glorify Christ. First Peter 4.16, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, and many do, let him not be ashamed. Nothing to be ashamed of when you suffer for being a Christian but let him glorify God in that name. Well, I think as, you, as we follow these instructions, we'll discover the spirit of grace working within us and within our fellowship.
will discover this spirit of grace that works in us. You will grow in patient endurance. will experience God's love in a deeper way. will experience grace within. It will happen. But remember, God may not change your circumstances as much as He changes you. Your circumstances may change, but it's much more likely that you will change as you respond to the Word of God and the will of God in all of this. Suffering really is part of the greater whole. Uh, It's the link between our present state of lowliness and our future state of glory. Suffering is tucked in between those two. In, In one sense, suffering is a window into the very presence of God. And we see into it, and we see through it, and we see beyond it to the magnificent and glorious purposes of God for us. And while Satan tries his very best to destroy us through suffering directly, most of his work is done by distorting and misrepresenting and perverting or attempting to the good and glorious purposes that God has for us in that moment of suffering or affliction. You can't control the origin or the operation of suffering, but you can control the outcome by the way you respond to it. I believe with all my heart that God is saying to many of us here today, My grace is sufficient. It's enough. It's enough. The grace of God is enough for my power is made perfect in weakness. My power is made perfect in brokenness. My power is made perfect in cancer. My power is made perfect in broken relationships. I, I, I reveal myself to people in powerful ways in the midst of the pain of life. My grace is sufficient. And I hope that we can respond by saying, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of God may be revealed and manifest. And that other people might might come to an understanding that it's very often through through the misery and pain of life that the hope of the gospel shines brightest. I mean, Jesus went to the cross and died there. He was buried. He came out of the grave alive, victorious on the third day to give us hope and to provide us with the strength that we need in our weakness. Anybody here this morning have weakness?
Why don't we lay hold of the grace of God this morning? Would you pray with me, please? Father, we come once again humbled by the power of your word and the presence of the Holy Spirit in this place. Thank you for meeting us at our point of need. We've already said, we've already admitted that we have weakness and we have brokenness in our lives and many, many people in our congregation are are suffering. Help us to discern where that suffering is coming from and be able to respond accordingly. Lord, we affirm this morning your grace is enough. Your grace is sufficient. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.